Philippians chapter 1 is our text. Fox's book of martyrs, chronicling the fourth persecution that came against the church, says this. The Christians again came under persecution, this time from Marcus Aurelius in A.D. 161. One of those who suffered this time was Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna. Three days before he was captured, Polycarp dreamed that a pillow under his head caught fire. And when he awoke, he told those around him that he would burn alive for Christ's sake. Hearing his capturers had arrived one evening, Polycarp left his bed to welcome them, ordered a meal prepared for them, and then asked for an hour uh, hour alone to pray. The soldiers were so impressed by Polycarp's advanced age and composure that they began to wonder why they had been sent to take him. But as soon as he had finished his prayers, they put him on a donkey and brought him to the city. As he entered the stadium with his guards... A voice from heaven was heard to say, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one nearby saw anyone speaking, but many people heard the voice. Brought before the tribunal and the crowd, Polycarp refused to deny Christ, although the proconsul begged him, Consider yourself and have pity on your great age. Reproach Jesus Christ and I will release you. Polycarp replied, Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? In our introduction to this series that we're calling Full of It, we discovered that Paul, like Polycarp, was very near to entering into eternity after being executed by a Caesar. Imprisoned in Rome, he was awaiting his sentence from Nero. The apostle uh, wrote this letter to the church and to us as well. His point, to remind us that Christ is everything and that life is meant for nothing but service to him. The closer that Paul came to physical death, the more central he placed the Savior, And his hope for his friends and fellow believers in Philippi was that they would be full of Jesus Christ and dead to self. Line by line in this epistle, he explains to them and to countless thousands of other people throughout the church age that fullness and completion is available to those who are willing to take up the cross of Christ and lay down the things of the earth. And so this morning, Paul begins by filling our focus with Jesus Christ, the foundation, the central gauge of our thoughts and activity and future should be only the Savior, letting all other things fall away by the wayside. There is no other starting point that can lead us to a place of completion or fullness except Jesus Christ. And so beginning in verse 1, we read this. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's introduction is somewhat routine, but in it we can find a lot of great application and understanding. First and foremost, we simply must see the centrality of Christ in these verses. It's really just a few words, but see how often the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. Of Christ, in Christ, from Christ. Immediately, this letter should focus us on a person. It should focus us on the one who has won life for us. Seeing these verses should indicate to us that who I am is found in Christ, what I do is found in Christ, what my future holds is all in Christ. He and he alone is the foundation that can then be built upon in a way that can be completed and filled and perfected. Outside of Jesus is failure and emptiness. The purpose of these studies is to discover the fullness that God wants for our lives 
but the directions to that destination are specific and confined to the person and work of Jesus. He's going to go through this book and explain you know, all sorts of different aspects of our lives, whether it's our thought life or our prayer life, our worship life, our service, our, all of these other different things. But they're, they're the way to completion that God wants for every one of us is confined to the person of Jesus Christ. That's not news to us. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot have spiritual life without Jesus. We cannot have fullness if we only engage or invest partially in him. And so Paul, first and foremost, gets it out on the table that there is nothing worthwhile apart from the Son of God. That's all he cared about. He was you know, weeks or days or perhaps moments away from his death. And all he cared about was his Lord Jesus Christ. And in this message to the Philippians, that's what he says over and over to them, revealing to them the person and how only this person can fill their lives and complete their lives. But Paul also acknowledges the recipients of this letter in these opening verses. Specifically, he addresses it to the saints in Philippi. Because of the inspiration of Scripture, the message of this epistle is extended to all saints throughout the church age. So, if you are a Christian, you are qualified to receive the message that Paul is delivering in this book. And as recipients of this letter, you are entitled to the grace and the peace of God because we are heirs with Christ. That's how it works. And so we need to understand that saint is not, you know, uh, anything other than the word Christian. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus Christ, you are a saint and therefore you are a recipient directly of this epistle and all that it entails. That means that you can receive peace in your decision making and peace in your struggles. It means you can have grace to endure hardship or temptation and grace to deal with difficult people. It means you can have peace in the face of martyrdom or market decline, either one. Whether we're, whether we're, here, in the mor- whether we're here in 2010 or whether you're Polycarp in the stadium, you have received the grace of Jesus Christ and the peace of Jesus Christ as a believer. Whatever is in store for our future, we can hurdle over as we approach eternity where we have inherited the kingdom and the life eternal by the Son of God. Um, Paul, later on in this book, we'll, we'll talk about it, is, talks about running the race and how you know, we want to run the race to win the race. But you know, I think one of the things I kind of forget is that, yeah, this is a race, but it's a hurdles race. And there's a lot of things to hurdle over, but the Lord has given us all that we need in order to uh, hurdle over those things. Now, we are prone to ask God for things in our lives, and that's not bad. It's not bad at all. The Lord tells us to ask things in his name, and he cares about the different situations that are going on in your life and my life. Those things are significant, and so it's okay to ask for things in your life. But this week, I would challenge each of us, myself included, to ask for more grace in our lives, because it is perhaps the most important provision that God has made for us as his people. Grace is the starting place you know, for what we want to ask for in our prayer time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. This guy's just great. I hope that none of you think that you have more grace than you need because you have not. You may possibly have as much grace as will last you through today, but you will need as much as that tomorrow morning, if not more. Grace does not make us unearthly, though it makes us unworldly. And so grace, I would challenge each of us to ask for grace today as we go out and face the world that the Lord brings to us. In these opening verses of Philippians, I'm stirred up by Paul that my life would be filled with the grace 
of Christ because that grace produces the rest of those things which I seek after in my relationship with the Lord and in my faith. Not only do we find that our lives are filled with grace and therefore peace, we also find that we have a fullness of responsibility in the Lord. The letter is not only directed to the saints, but it also makes a, uh, a direction to the bishops and the deacons of the church. Deacon we generally recognize in our vernacular, but bishop isn't a word we use very oft, often. Uh, for us, I would say, you know, I think in our culture and in our understanding, you hear the word bishop and saint. I, I immediately start thinking of things in a Catholic context. And, and um, so it's not something we use very often. But simply put, a bishop is the word for overseer and a deacon is the word for servant. It's very simple. And, and so... Uh, when you see these words and, and they come with sort of a cultural you know, bias or a cultural understanding, you need to step back and say, okay, well, what does that really mean? You know, what, a bishop, when I think of the word bishop, I think of a guy in you know, a big cloak that oversees you know, big districts of you know, dioceses and things like that. And a bishop simply means overseer, deacon simply means servant. Part of godly fullness is becoming men who measure up to the biblical model of maturity. We studied those passages in 1 Timothy and Titus where we saw what a man of God is and how we conform our lives to that standard. And though not all of us are called to teach or to be a pastor in the official sense, not all of us are currently serving in the office of a deacon, but every believing man has the call of oversight and service placed on his life. And we're reminded of that by these two words, bishop and deacon. Here's what I mean. If you're married or if you have children, you are called to oversee your family in the Word of God. You are called to act as the spiritual head of your household. We are responsible as men to lead our families biblically and actively. In contrast to our cultural mindset, our primary undertaking is to be the home in, as far as the Lord is concerned. Then followed after by other areas of ministry and service. Home isn't the place where we relax our you know, uh, Christian standards or lessen our effort in ministry, quite the opposite, in fact. God comes to us as individuals and he's concerned with how we are leading our families and how we are leading in our marriage, much more so than whatever empire we're trying to build for ourselves or even for him or how successful we've become on the earth. You know, uh, God cares more about the personal life and the home life than, than the secondary things of, of, you know, what we're trying to build up for ourselves or for him. Now we're also called to oversee the discipleship of younger Christian men as individuals. We learned that as as well in the me, in the Measure of a Man series that we studied in Timothy and Titus. We each have different gifting and ability, but all of us are called to help and encourage and train up younger Christians in the ways of the Lord in one way or another. Paul had Timothy. He was literally living out this precept as he wrote to the Philippians. Those are the opening words. Paul and Timothy, this guy's with me and I'm discipling him. He had this younger believer under his wing and he was encouraging him and training him and helping him draw nearer to God. He was helping him learn the business, if you will, of being a Christian. And then he was going to work Timothy into replacing him. You know, And, and that's what Paul did with Timothy as he discipled him. We call that discipling a person. The question is, do I have a Paul or a Timothy in my life right now? Do I have either one of those? Is there any discipleship on any level going on in my life? Because this spiritual discipleship is something we all need. We all need to be discipled by someone who can biblically build us up. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you need to be discipling others. I need to be discipling others. We are called to do that. We need to partner together in that way because that is what the Lord asks us to do. 
You know, as you know, older men go to younger men and older Christians go to younger Christians and help train people up. Some people will be more formal or more thorough or more regular in their discipleship than other people. One is not necessarily better than the other. You don't have to, you know, lock into a two-year, you know, contract with someone. Like, you know, you're not Verizon. You don't have to force somebody to, this is what you're going to do every week. You know, that's not necessarily what the Lord is calling us to. Um, Some people are going to be called into very special discipleship relationships like Paul and Timothy or like Barnabas and Mark. Uh, But each of us must invest into the lives of other believers and sharpen younger believers using all of the precepts and the examples that we see in the scriptures. It's not that we lord over younger Christians. That's not at all what we're supposed to do. But we look over younger Christians and help them come along without falling by the wayside. Help them avoid mistakes that perhaps we have made or that we see examples in the scriptures making. Helping to you know guide and direct them. Think about um, Apollos. You know he was this being used by the Lord. He was this great orator and he loved the Lord. But you know when the believers came to him, who were a little bit more mature, they said, you know what, we need to just we need to correct one of your teachings. You know, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Do you know about this kind of thing? And, you know, we want you to draw nearer to God and nearer to the truth and have a fuller understanding. That wasn't necessarily very official. They didn't meet with Apollos every day for, you know, six months and, you know, have a 12-step discipleship program. But that's what we're talking about, discipling those behind us in the faith so that they don't fall by the wayside. That is a calling that we can remember as we look at this word bishop here in Philippians. Even if we're not called to become a pastor or a teacher of the word. You know, yes, Paul is using the word bishop as the overseer of the local church, but we can apply that to ourselves and see who am I overseeing? Am I overseeing my family? Am I overseeing my marriage? Am I overseeing uh, discipleship? And then all of us are called to service to the Lord and service to others as deacons, as it were. That, that's all a deacon is, a spiritual errand boy, a table server, a volunteer, someone who is willing to wash feet and build up others to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus say when he washed their feet? Hey, as you've seen me to do, go and do likewise. None of us are free from the calling of deaconship, as it were. Maybe not official you know, in the local church deaconry, but uh, we are all called to serve. We may from time to time try to escape that calling. We may ignore it or disdain it even at times. But personal service, personal sacrifice is the bedrock of ministry. And all of us should be able to find some sort of service in our lives if we evaluate ourselves. If I look within myself and if I can't find any foot washing or any table serving on the spiritual level, then I just need to humble myself and take on the heart of a servant for my Lord. This is where Paul begins in this amazing book. By laying the foundation of Jesus Christ. He shows us that life is not about just adding Christ in, but it is about relinquishing everything but Jesus and and taking on his heart, taking on his characteristics, taking on his calling. I don't just add faith to the rest of my character or the rest of my activity or my plans. Instead, we find here that Christianity and discipleship, biblical fullness means abandoning all things to follow God and then finding all the things that we receive when we're willing to do so. Then we go and we share that understanding and train up people who God has brought to us. And so do you want to have a full life? Do you want to have peace and contentment? Do you want to have the kind of life that makes people stop and marvel at the power of the Lord? I do. I want that. You know, and I know you guys do as well. If you want it, here's what you do. First, center your life on Christ. Look at your life and see it as Paul did. In Christ, of Christ, from Christ.
and then invest into the lives of other believers. Serve God, not just mentally, not just theoretically, but physically, actively serve God. Wait tables in the church. Lead your family with the biblical directives that the Lord has given you in the scriptures. Allow more mature Christians to encourage and train and, if necessary, correct you. And then do the same for those who you're ahead of in the faith. Fill your mind with God and you will find that you filled up your time with God. And when your time is full of God, the result is abundance. Amen?